Do you feel as if reality has been altered? That something or someone has interfered with our collective present moment? Then this is the podcast for you. This is the sound of duality. This has the sound of a DMT molecule as it travels through your body, opening you to the knowledge that you seek. It's also the sound of sheep and bliss, wandering this universe and the concept of Sonder as you play a lead role created by these two states of being. Pull up a pew and take a seat. This is a podcast of all you touch and all you see. The guests are everything in between. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the duality of each state of being and the very thin line between each. All right, folks, welcome. This is Drew. I have my co-host, Jennifer on the line, and our guest, Darlene, and we're going to have an absolutely fantastic show today. If anybody's wondering, our intro is being shortened as we speak. <laughs> it is a long intro, um, but you know, it just speaks to me and the kind of person that, that I am uh, generally. But of course, we need to speak to everybody. So you'll be hearing a, a shortened version of that coming up, which is actually pretty, pretty cool. It worked out really, really well. Yes. We've got one of the best uh, uh, voiceover guys in the business. He literally does the biggest campaigns in, in the world. So we're blessed there. Uh, and then, of course, I had him make an outro for us as well. Um, so Darlene, um, why don't you introduce yourself and maybe just give us a little bit of your your background and what you feel are your areas of of expertise. You know that you're you know not a uh, doctor uh, per se, but you're a doctor of of life. Let's call it. Um, so I'll let you go ahead and and uh, explain that. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. First of all, I'm 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 glad to have this opportunity to to speak with y'all. Uh, I have been uh, all over the place in terms of, of experiences. Uh, I spent many years as a, um, a just so everybody knows, I was a, a, a banker uh, uh, for many many years. I also worked in public health, so I've had real jobs, but. Uh, I've always also had many, many experiences going on in my life. And by experiences, I mean very unusual experiences, things like UFOs and uh, recognition, time slips, just all across the board. Uh, I'm, not a, okay. I'm, not, I'm not a guru or any, any, any type of person who would do readings for people, but I am ongoing with all these experiences. And my, my field of expertise and the thing I'm most interested in is consciousness. Oh, it's a perfect, perfect fit for the show, of course. And uh, and I know that you know uh, Anthony Peak or have heard of Anthony Peak and seen some of his videos and 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 writings. And oh, yes, course, I've read his books. Is on, yeah, really cool guy, really cool guy. So <laughs> hi, Anthony, because you'll hear this, and uh, in a few <laughs> months we'll have him on as uh, our guest host. So he'll be a uh, 
third wheel, <laughs> so to speak, on coming on with this. But that'll be a blast. That'll be a that'll be a lot of fun. Um, Darlene, what would what would you say? Uh, just out of curiosity, that was your earliest experience that you had? Oh wow! Well, I've actually told this story before uh, on another radio program that I did, but I'll be happy to relay it again. The, yeah, the you can thing- keep it short. I will. I'll keep it short. It's not a super long story, but it happened when I was around five years old. And uh, we lived in an old farmhouse out in, in South Texas. It was kind of set in the middle of cotton fields and stuff like that. It was a real old farmhouse. And uh, my sister and I shared a room. And one night after after she had gone to sleep, I was just kind of laying there. And I looked over and uh, I saw a giant rabbit sitting there. <laughs> You and and uh, I was not dreaming. I was wide awake. I re- no, I guess so. Uh, it wasn't a white rabbit, though. It was a it was a dark rabbit. And I remember at the time it just scared the bejabbers out of me. And I love my my sister. My sister and I are very close. And uh, I remember that I just got very. That's the this is the only experience, by the way, where I had real fear. I will say that up front. And I remember mm-hmm. I got up under the covers and covered my head with my pillow, and I was just in a cold sweat. And then I finally drifted off to sleep, and the next morning everything was normal, of course. And I never told anybody this story, and really until a couple of years ago. And I didn't even relay it to my sister until a couple of years ago. But it was very real, and it was not a dream. Uh, I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> that was definitely not a dream, but I have done some research on it since trying to understand why there was a rabbit there. And I didn't develop a fear of rabbits or anything like that after the fact, but, uh, rabbits have, have you, a lot to do with consciousness. Have you ever heard of the movie Donnie Darko? I oh yes, I've seen it. Oh, I've okay. seen it. Cause right. The big, the big rabbit. Oh there yes. I've seen All Donnie right, Darko and one of my favorite plays. Uh, I was in theater for a short while, many years ago. One of my favorite plays and movies is a movie called Harvey. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's, it's a wonderful movie and it's about, you know, it has uh, James Stewart in it and a puka named Harvey, who is a giant rabbit. So this little rabbit connection has kind of drifted in and out of my life. And I've always known that it's, it's yeah. some kind of important part of, of me. Oh, for and, sure. Cause he's my favorite my consciousness. Of all time. Yeah. yeah. So I that's probably the very first, that's the very first, very vivid memory I have of, of something that wasn't quite right. Yeah. And, and Jen, how about you? I know we, we've kind of spoken about this, but, and, and there's a reason I'm just kind of, you know, I want to keep a chronological order when we speak with people of around that age, when events start to occur or people start to notice, you know, what we like to call high strangeness uh, events, yeah, my, no my matter what, what they are. Were, were later in life. Um, I was looking for something um, that was ex- going to explain some of the unusual events. Um, one being which not really feeling connected, you know, to society, to the universe, um, you know, which brought me to, right. you know, a lot of different subjects. I started reading self-help and then I realized, you know, how, how useless it was um i bet i've read um right exactly so, help, help so, to um, your money in your pocket you know I, yeah 
I do have someone, um, you know, who <coughs> reads my cards um, a couple of times a year. So, you know, I believe, um, I do believe in astrology. Um, I've uh, dabbled a little bit in um, some psychedelics to help me understand my mind and to, to really give me, um, yeah, yeah, to give me some answers or, or hope, you know, to we'll enlighten talk about me. a little bit today. Um, and that's, you know, that's what, um, you know, what my journey has been. Yeah, it's not for everybody, uh, but it does call to you, uh, you know, when, when you're ready for it, uh, at least, you know, for most people, you know, in any type of hallucinogenic uh, drugs, which there are many, some, uh, yes, you know, much more powerful yeah. than, than others. So let's give that disclaimer out there too, before we even go down that path that, you know, none of us are doctors here. None of us are shamans. Um, you know, I have quite a bit of, of experience, uh, especially with LSD going into the hundreds of times and an experience uh, of with DMT uh, and then with 5-MeO-DMT, two completely different things, people get confused and that can get dangerous. So that's why I do want to put that out there, that you need to seek guidance if you are going to even attempt or think um, about uh, using any of these, you know, I hate to call them drugs because part of the work that we want to do here eventually on other shows is to discuss the medical uses that we've known about for decades, but are now just coming around full circle again. Um, you know, and unfortunately, Timothy Leary, you know, God rest his soul, great guy, but he went down the wrong path and really made it recreational. Well, except for alcohol and, and cigarettes. You know, that's you anytime know, that's the government okay. sees something that's recreational, right, they're going to take um, that away from you. Exactly. Thanks for pointing them. that out, <laughs> really. But look at, look at the cannabis. You're right. You're absolutely right. But so with the cannabis industry, what did the right thing legalized and they're going to make their money. So it, you know, it, it'll work out for everybody. Um, and then hopefully for, uh, entheogens, there we go. Um, and, uh, you know, all other hallucinogenic drugs and the ability that they do have to literally, literally save people's lives. Um, there have been people that have been heroin addicts for 30, 40 years. And it's from one, experience have completely cleaned up their life. That's no joke. And that's not an exaggeration. Mm -hmm. This, and this is common, um, these occurrences and also for PTSD, for people that deal with, uh, very, very intense periods of their and, life, whether uh, it's Bill war w, or, uh, or other personal uh, issues. And, um, um, you know, I, yeah, he, he was a proponent of, um, you know, psychedelics yeah, to help, yeah. um, you know, to help cure alcoholism. Mm -hmm. He was. When I have a long list, once we do that particular show, oh. we won't do it today, but you've got Steve Jobs, <laughs> you've got, uh, you know, Watson and Crick, darling, we were talking about that the, uh, the other you day. You got the Beatles. <laughs> the, uh, 
the double helix in genetics and also the computer mouse and the right and left click was all discovered Correct. Yeah. during LSD trips. So, and the list goes on and on and on. And these are only the ones that we know about, right? Only the people that have been willing to come right. out because, you know, they don't care again, as I'm starting to become myself as well about certain things that, you know, look, this is my life and, you know, I don't know how long I'll be around and mm-hmm. I, I, I want to discover them and, and try to understand what's going on just like that little kid that we all were, yes. right, as, as laying there in bed. And we think <laughs> that we're the only ones that have ever had that thought, right? <laughs> Remember that? So that's the oh, feeling yeah. we all had, staring off and just how incredible it was. And then, of course, we're let down later that everybody else has had the same thought. <laughs> but it's still very cool. But some of us do have the ability to go much further than that, um, and I think the three of us would would fall into those categories, along with a lot of other people that continue that journey Knowledge, um, and keep pushing that envelope because we are searchers of of knowledge. Um, and yeah, that's yeah. that's really what it's all about, in my opinion. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people wonder why we're here. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's probably different for, for various knowledge. people, but overall, <laughs> right? we're all here to gather information and learn as much as we can about as many things as we can. And it's to contribute to the larger body of knowledge of consciousness. It's, it's, it it's the experience of it. Yeah. Cause I'm definitely, like we said, I'm, I'm no scientist. I, uh, quit college, but I, I had a, a ride. Um, I very well could have gone to some pretty high level, schools and decided not to. I was working in the field of psychology. I, I wanted to get into industrial psychology, but I saw the the um, the fruitlessness of it that you can never truly understand what's going inside somebody else's mind. And soon as that hit me, and I like to call them downloads, I get these massive downloads of information and what I call truths or what I feel is truth. It doesn't mean that it is, of course not, right? But what I feel is going on, and I just keep adding mm-hmm. to those experiences up up until this day. Jen can tell you, you know, yes. I've got whiteboards all over the place and all kinds of crazy scribblings. Oh, and and Darlene, um, Jen, I told Darlene about my symbols and the Mandela's and things that I've been drawing since you know I was seven or eight years old, having no clue what what I'm drawing, but they're everywhere um, in, in every major civilization that have been using these spirals and, and certain triangular, you know, shapes. Um, and hash then marks too. Hash marks are very popular in the, in the, if you, if you go back and look um, I know that even uh, if you ever listen to dark journalists, he's really into the ex stenography right now. He's got a whole series he's running on that. But you, if you take yeah. it even back a lot farther than that, um, even ancient, uh, ancient, uh, the, oh, the first wow. piece of art that they have found is several thousands of years old. I'm and it's basically a brick me. with hash marks on it. Are you talking about from yeah, Goblet it's, it's, it's or from it's another? It's X's all the way across. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely for sure. And that's what it started with, um, with, with, uh, pictures and, and, uh, you know, pterogliffs and, and I guess, you know, that's our communication levels or maybe with grunts and growls and then, 
you know, putting each of those together and formulating words, because words really are the most powerful thing, I believe, that we have, especially how they can be twisted, right, and turned into to, to Well, and tones are very important, too. I think the tones yeah. are maybe even more important than the words themselves. You know, it's like it's not what you say, you how you say it. It's the uh, voice inflection. You're right. It's there. the voice. Yeah. It, it has a lot to do with that. But I have a question for the two of you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, when I was a little girl, mm-hmm. uh you know, I was, were y'all both very creative, imaginative kids? Oh, oh yeah. Dear God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I, I was that way and I, and I, it, I, I soon realized that a lot of other little kids and even some adults around me were just not thinking in the same way I was. And that's what kind of set me, yes. you know, made me step, take a step back because I, I was aware from a very young yes. age that I was thinking differently. Yeah. Not necessarily yeah, in a bad or good way. I, I was yeah, off but, the charts and no, no, just in a different way. I was off the charts are, in certain um, areas, but yeah, also and, defunct and just being in others. That oh, my social skills were terrible. No, I was, I was, you know, having popular, family members mock okay the, the behavior because they yes. didn't understand it. Yeah. I was a class clown. No, I, I went to But the I think same I was thing. hiding a lot. You do that as a child, the, the class clown, typical person, you know, they're, they're hiding things that they don't even know. Oh, well, actually, I was just, I was extremely quiet. I was so quiet when I was little that I had a school teacher. She was mm-hmm. probably my third grade teacher. No. Tell my mother that she was concerned because I was so quiet. But then yeah, at but one you were point. probably very loud in your own mind, I bet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it was very loud. Now, I will say this. There was one, uh, you know, I had so many things going on around me. I was always aware of things going on around me that I knew other people weren't aware of, you know, right. beings or whatever that were there. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember that I, I started to change a lot right around the age of 10. Wow. And yeah. the, the, a book that really helped me, and this is going to sound silly, yeah. but I read uh, a book called uh, A Wrinkle in Time oh, by yeah. Madeline Lingle. <laughs> that book, <laughs> I don't know why, I don't know how, but it kind of opened the door for me in ways that, I mean, I didn't realize it at the time, but I got super interested. I was always in, very interested in science. And in, right. and then I began, right. began began to get interested in science fiction and fantasy after I read her yeah. book. It had so much more influence on kids than they, than they thought, just like you're saying, Darlene, that it was really for kids, but, but for adults, the, the, the themes that were running through there, that certain children did pick up on like you, but uh, yeah, definitely familiar. Oh, I still read that book about once a year. I I take a journey down memory lane and I pull that book from my shelf and I read it again and I get a little bit more from it each time. And it's, um, I don't know who she was as a person on a spiritual level, but she certainly was, she was certainly making the connections and she was also talking about things like wormholes before most people yeah. ever even came up with the idea. <laughs> I mean, she was yeah. at any idea. Yeah. I was a Lord of the Rings guy. You know, that says nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I'm just thinking about books and things that were important to me back, back then that kids could 
care less about at that time, but I was just so fascinated with his work and ability, especially with the languages, how much of a genius that token was and his ranking of being the greatest, uh, probably fiction writer of the 20th century. You know, of course, any, we can argue, argue that there's a lot of people. But he's he's up there. Let's just put it that way. No, I um, agree. Not but really. how he made you feel. So I wonder, really, Jen, did you um, did you have any books have an or anything like that when you were a child that really that you later. remember vividly I, that influenced um, you? It wasn't encouraged in my family. My grandfather was an avid reader, and you know there are stories that he'd have to take. He'd have to shut off his hearing aid in order to get some peace and read <laughs> because, you know, my, <laughs> my family just didn't understand it, you know, and, um, and it's interesting, you know, I, <laughs> you know, I picked up reading and I just, it, it meant so much to me, you know, where, uh, you know, it's, it's a way of time travel or, or travel in general, you know, without leaving, um, you know, your home or your library. So um, I really grew a love for it. And I consider myself now kind of a book hoarder. You know, I, I, I probably have, you know, hundreds of books that I'll never get around to reading. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, you're an avid, I yeah, feel you're an very avid comfortable and, and it feels <clears throat> very good to have, have it, you know, uh, at my Oh, me right. too. Have them there at the ready to go, right? What's funny with you ladies talking about this, that I was so voracious of a reader when I was a child. And that, that's the side that I was off the charts on, you know, when you go into the mathematics and things that I, I just really was bored with it. And I also just might, that part of my, my brain just didn't want to to say accept <laughs> what was going on. And they kept trying to throw me into, you know, these heavy duty college level trigonometry courses before I was even at algebra, just because I was doing, you know, I guess so well in other oh, areas really? of, of testing <laughs> to this day, I still don't know what they were doing to me, but they, they really screwed me up. But what I was going to say to make a joke was I was even reading Judy Bloom books. <laughs> well, and they, well, yeah, whatever you, whatever floats your boat. And that's the good thing yeah. about reading is is nobody yeah. can really stop you uh, from getting those right. books. They might look at you strangely or well. Yeah, I would let I me didn't tell care. you. I just uh, well, I was I a girl that was reading Isaac Asimov cool. when I was ten years old, and <laughs> everybody like, looked at me strange because I was a girl reading right, sci-fi right. science. Yeah. And so I had no conversations with girls about books at all in those days. It, it just didn't happen. Well, he got me started on hard science. I picked up some of his books, even before the sci-fi, some of his, because he wrote, I don't, I can't remember the number. It's, I think it's even a record, the amount of books that he pumped out over his lifetime. Oh, and right. it, it's into the tens of thousands, but he has so many that were just on science itself that got me into it and got me interested in thinking about theoretical physics and just, it just, and that's, then it took off was, is my point, you know, then the Arthur C. Clarks and of course Asimov and it can go on and on, but yeah, yeah. Robert Heinlein, he might Heinlein, have been my favorite. <laughs> Heinlein. Yeah. It's very, very cool. It's very, very cool. No, but I think it's interesting that, um, 
Well, how were y'all about science? Because I was I was really into science and especially in anything that was nature related uh, when I was growing up. Uh, I was reading about astronomy and yeah, archaeology and geology nature. and whatever other yeah. ologies you want to talk about. Uh, Before I got I into little- psychology, my, my really main area <laughs> was anthropology and uh, yeah, and uh, paleontology, um, the ologies. <laughs> oh yeah, and I was and I was I was into dinosaurs in those days. And nobody was into dinosaurs when I was a kid. It was really weird. Not not many kids really got into it. And I even remember writing a little book and drawing pictures of all these sauruses, you know. Right. <laughs> and, but then uh, most kids grow out of it. They don't continue. So did you continue? Oh, because I, I did. And that's what I, meant. I, I that's really what, See, that's the difference, it. I think, between like me and a lot of uh, adults is um, I have never stopped being just in awe of all of it. All of and it. if there is one thing that I wish I could give everyone that doesn't have it, and that is a that sense, sense of awe of what a... No, nothing's perfect, of course, in our in through our eyes, but this is just such an amazing, amazing universe. And to be able to experience it in the physical, and to see it, to smell it, to taste well, and especially it, especially that we think we know everything, right? Right, Darlene. I mean, yeah. we were talking about that the other day too. Scientists, we think we know it all. We definitely don't. And I think the further we go down the rabbit hole. The, the the further off in a different direction of that hole we go. Um, and we're going to start to find that out more and more and more. And unfortunately, it might be through CERN and another accident, because like we were talking about earlier, I, I think something occurred with CERN, but that's another show altogether. But um, yeah, just that uh, that wonderment that we are never going to figure this out. You know, everything is occurring with inside the skull of pure darkness. Mm -hmm. And we have our eyes, we have our senses, and that tiny, tiny little sliver, right, of what we perceive to be real. And all the rest of it, we'll never know. There's no way for us to know. And then I play these jokes, Jen and I do this little thing of, and and Darlene, we talked about this also the other day, but just we can't prove that five seconds ago occurred. Um, let alone anything else in our lives other than just this present moment and then this moment and this moment and this moment. So, and that's not that it, this is anything new. It's just another little piece to the puzzle that and no matter how smart and intelligent these theoretical physicists are, and they are, um, that I think that they are now obviously putting together the the mystical sides of things which have been known about for thousands of years they're starting to finally accept <laughs> you know that oh yeah <laughs> right, for sure right? i mean uh, i don't know if you're you're familiar with uh the ions organization but they're doing a lot in that field and and looking at the whole thing it's it's holistic they're not just focusing on ufos or just on people telepathy and that last second you just before you, you said ions what was just before that oh I, I i said i don't know if everybody's familiar with the ions the organization of institute of noetic sciences but they're doing a lot of research uh on that line. I mean, they're, they're looking at, uh, at UFOs. They're looking at telepathy. They're looking at Everything. all these anomalous things that so many people experience and they're looking at it in it in a holistic way. 
that all these things are connected. And, and the thing is, is for me, for about the last 30 years, I have not seen that UFOs or telepathy or ghosts or whatever weird thing you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. I do not see those things as separate things. I see them as part of the same thing, but just a different manifestation of whatever that is. Now we're, we're definitely on the same wavelength for sure. And I know Jen is as well, because yeah, I've been thinking these thoughts for going back so far and I could never understand why these different disciplines could just not get it together. But well, then again, I do know why it's hubris and it's, you know, within these different fields, they need funding. And so they, you know, if they start to go outside of their field, they're afraid they're not going to get the funding that they need. You know, there's a million different reasons why, but um, it's starting to occur. Like you said, Darlene, thank God. Um, And I, but, and I think the further we get down that road, uh, and especially with these different scientists coming out of, uh, you know, the woodwork um, and saying, look, I have always felt this way. I was just not able to say it. Then we're going to start getting somewhere. Then well, you know, and that's that's true. I'm, I'm reading a book right now uh, called American Cosmic. I don't know if you've heard of that book um, by uh, a lady named Diana Pasolka. She's a religious studies professor. And in that book, she's actually talking to real scientists, but she can't tell you exactly who they are because they are so secretive about some of the stuff they're working on themselves. Uh, they, no, they, you know, got the name for the two guys. There's two guys, right? Yeah, and Tyler and James, uh, billionaires, probably. Tyler and James. Wow, check out synchronicity. I, I, I was, I literally was just listening to this uh, maybe two or three nights ago on a podcast and she was on it and it was the entire story. Mm-hmm. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that was That's incredible. Okay. That you just said that. I mean, what are the chances? But it was so interesting. It was crazy interesting. Well, I know a lot of people are kind of, uh, you know, the UFO community is kind of different anyway. And it, it, the biggest problem the UFO community has is they all fight with each other <laughs> uh, about what it is and how it yeah. is. And, and if you, do, if you don't believe it's real, then there's something wrong with you. You know, and it, it, it goes all over the place. But I know that one of the, the things that I've noticed is like um, you talk about anomalous experiences that you have and, uh and people always say, well, we need the science. We need the science to prove this. It's got to be done by science. And I agree with that. I think I don't see a reason why science and all these things can't can't get along. You've got to have some rules, but no, you know, there should it's be so some regimental rules. that it, it just becomes prohibitive. Well, yeah, but they also been- they also will give, you know, they'll talk about science. But as soon as you throw quantum mechanics into it, right. you know, and, and they give Nobel Prizes for it. You know, Richard Feynman yep. got a Nobel Prize for yep. quantum physics, and Mind there's all memory. these people that have these wonderful ideas, and then there's Schrodinger's cat, and all these all these yep. weird, spooky action at a yeah. distance, as Einstein talked about. But the minute you try to bring that into talking about these anomalous events, people In shut every you day down. They, talking about. Yeah, they say, oh, well, that's not, well, that's quantum physics. We can't count that. I mean, I've actually had somebody tell me that. <laughs> What's even like, no. weirder is that we've known about these things now going on, uh, you know, uh, to almost 150 years, but yet the general public still struggles with it when they don't have to, because it can be explained in ways that people can understand it. 
but it's kept from them because I do believe there, there is some greater truth again that we're getting to Darlene. There's something that we're getting to that they do not want us to know for some reason that, you know, when I start to talk about alien abductions or anything having to do with them, I, I feel that it's an interdimensional issue. And that immediately answers the question of, well, cause you know, the constant trope is, well, how were they able to get here, you know, crossing vast amounts of, of time and distance and the technology that they have? Well, let's let's unpack that, right? First off, we don't know about the technology they have. No, we don't. Number one. <laughs> and number, number two is that as soon as you really start to understand theoretical, I'm sorry, uh, quantum physics and the way that it works, and as you said, spooky action at a, at a distance and how, uh, you know, entanglement works it works. They can be here and they can be all around us right now. And we don't even know it. Oh, exactly. And, and, totally and you works. still have that argument from people. Well, if there, there's really things going on, then why don't they right. land, on the, they land on the White House lawn? <laughs> <laughs> that one bugs me every time I hear it because they almost <laughs> landed on the White House lawn in 1952. <laughs> right. um, right. But uh, I don't know what they are, where they come from or any of that. I just know that no, calling something real is no. where we get into the problem. What I does think that mean? It's coming up. I think there's an event coming, something they're here, either witnessing this or to guide. Well, then again, I, I also hate the guiding. There's been this, you know, different roads that we've taken to get where we are. There's the ones that are the guiding, loving aliens. And then there's the other side of the demonic aliens and the two sides can't, you know, meet together and, and talk about it and figure and out everything what in the between. hell is going on. Okay, so because they're both right, you know. I don't mean to interrupt you, but let's no, let's just take all. a point here about that evil alien, nice right. alien thing. Human beings are both right. We are all and everything in between, and we've got this. You know, we we live in a reality that's about duality. Yeah. And we 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 worry about beings that are one way or the other when we just need to be working on our own stuff. You got it. And yeah. uh, don't no be labeling anything or anybody because we need to be working on ourselves. And if we're seeing beings that are bad or good, then it's it's a reflection of us. Of us, yeah, very I mean, very well. Maybe. I mean, that's the that's exactly we are. If if you consider weird one, I beg your pardon. No, no, go ahead, darling. Go ahead. I was just um, about to say that, you know, because we are a, 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 in a reality that's dual, I don't think that that part of it's going to change. And it's about the observer. Right. We are observing all of this. And some of us are observing oh, yeah. the same thing. But this guy's seeing a bad guy and this guy's seeing a good guy. Yeah. And the thing is, I don't think, OK, this is going to sound silly. I don't think we should expect any more of alien beings or interdimensional beings or whatever the heck they are, then we expect of ourselves. Ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And also, uh, you know, if, if these things are interdimensional, you know, then uh, again, that's going back to the whole time differential issues, you know, kind of go out the window and it doesn't really make any, any difference either way. Um, uh, what was I going to say? I'll come back to it because it was something, um, something interesting. 
let's do this. Let's jump real quick to um, the DMT issue because a lot of people Mm -hmm. uh, under the influence of uh, hallucinogens (laughs) have experiences with alien entities Um, or maybe not even put that word in front of it. Let's just say entities in general. Yeah, thank you. Or something in general. Something in general. But it is so much more real that, you know, LSD, I like to say, is kind of just like like a a picture book. I picked this up actually off of somebody else. I shouldn't say it's my own. But like a picture book. And DMT is the words. So the pictures and all of the words. But then you've got ayahuasca on top of that, which... I defies both of them and is the uh, uh, Moynich uh, manuscript. <laughs> oh, <say>. yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So maybe that would be a, a cool way to think mm-hmm. of it. Um, but yeah, but people do. And what's interesting is once you get into DMT is that the uh, the, the, the tropes, the, the stories are, are all similar. Where with yes. LSD, it's all over the yes. place. They're, they're not similar. So I think that's more of a reflection of what's going on with you, where DMT, you are literally communicating or on that plane if they allow it. Now, this is even if they allow it to happen. And it seems to be for the most part that they do and they want that interaction because they want you to learn. They want you to gain the knowledge in the best way that they know how. Oh, I know what it was that I wanted to say earlier. And it's perfect time is that. The other thing that scientists try to do, which I hate, is, well, you know, we wouldn't even recognize aliens if we saw them, you know. How would we know because of all of the different areas? Well, people aren't listening very well <laughs> when they when they talk about this. And I don't know if they do it on purpose. Well, then, I do know they do it on purpose. They absolutely do do this on purpose to confuse you. But... The universe as we know it, and again, I could be completely wrong, but let's just just take it for what it is right now. As we know it, it's a carbon-based or possibly crystalline-based life out there. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're going to encounter an entity or alien being from another planet within, as they like to call the Goldilocks zone, then of course they're going to be like us <laughs> because life is going to form very similarly to how it did here. It just, to me, I'm sorry. It just, it just is the simplest thing in the world to think about and to understand that I think they do this on purpose to confuse the general audience out there. Well, and, and, oh, and all yeah, that's regarding the general audience, wouldn't know. Is that um, it, you've got to look at the sheer variety of life on our planet. Yep. I don't think most people have even an inkling of the variety of life on this planet. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you could possibly yep. have an alien walking around here and you might not know it. Uh, but, I mean, let's put it, let's, let's take something that, that, that a lot of people think is abhorrent, which is something like maybe uh, some people would be scared spiders. out of their gourds of spiders <laughs> or, um, or octopus. I hate spiders. Um, and I was one of those kids. Now, this is one thing I was different as a little girl is I loved 
everything. I loved every critter there was. I drove my mother crazy because I always had jars in my room with butterflies and spiders and tadpoles and what have you. And um, let me give you one one little story that is important to me about life and about the concept of love. I was very scared of spiders in particular when I was real little. I mean, they just, I, 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 I was good with everything else, but spiders really scared me. And I didn't know why. I mean, I wasn't raised to be scared of spiders, but I was. And I grew up in a part of Texas where there were some pretty dangerous spiders and critters and scorpions and what have you. But when I was about 16, one day I was cleaning my bedroom and there happened to be a little spider on my windowsill. And the first thing I did was I grabbed a rolled up piece of paper with the intention to swat this thing. And as soon as I, it was so weird, I picked up that paper and that little spider automatically got up on his hind legs. He was aware of me. He was aware of me and what I was about to do. And in that moment, I just collapsed in a puddle of tears because I got it. You got it. I got it. And that, I think that's the same way we are going to have to look at everything is that you can't I, go. I, I do. I, I feel that way too. And I've had those moments. But it's, I'm the it's, guy that scoops bees out of the pool, you know? Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. So if you can't feel that connection to a spider or an octopus or a frog or whatever, you are sure as hell not going to get a, con- a, a, a connection to anything else. <laughs> You're right. I know. And it it's not an easy thing to do. And I understand people's yeah. fears. But if you can't get past that, then yeah. you got a long, a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I'll it, still do them. I'll capture them and I'll put them in a little, little jar and I'll let them loose outside. And Oh, we do and that I too. I can't kill another living thing. And I get teased all the time for it. I can't. I absolutely cannot do it. My, my girlfriend has rats. She keeps as, as pets and, and, uh, they don't live very long. Their lifespans are very short. And, you know, when it comes time, I can't, I can't do it, you know? So, you know, we either go to the vet and, you know, have them peacefully put down. But, you know, in, in the beginning when she f- was first starting to, um, to keep them as, as, as pets, you know, we really couldn't uh, afford vets. And so you would read online about these different techniques. And I'm like, I'm not doing this. I I, I can't do this. I just, I can't. So yeah, no, I get well, the, it. But the point is, is, is it's about connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you can, if you can figure out a way to get to that point where you can fear that, you know, feel that connection to some little tiny bug that you could squash, you know, in two seconds Any- flat and, and feel something for that and connect to it, then you're going to be able to connect to just about anything. About anything. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm almost in tears right now even thinking about it. But I think life What I is, meant about the, about the alien life. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Darlene, then I'll say it. No, just I was just going to say that, that I think that connection to alien life is a very important yeah. part. If there is alien life that right. we that we would recognize, I mean – uh, I don't know what's going I, on, with but you I think that we, I think that we would, the right people would, the right people would, Darlene, like you said, it's got to be the right people. Number one, but number two, I think that you're, that everything has sentience. Everything that's alive has certain levels of sentience. 
Um, so, you know, moving up the chain to, you know, dolphins and whales and, and to us. And of course we are very, very different than, uh, you know, most other creatures, but we are also very much the same though. You know, we're still learning, right? How similar we are to chimpanzees and to, again, dolphins and porpoises and going on down the chain, but that everything I do believe does have, some form of, of sentience and feeling, uh, you know, of pain or um, whatever that may be, maybe even love. I don't know. Well, I just you know, don't it, know. But we would no, we find don't know. It and know it is what I mean. It's like if it's in that Goldilocks zone, like what they're saying is that th- the development is going to be there. If we're talking about evolution and the way things evolve, that all across our universe, because of what's emitted from the stars and we're all made from the same stardust, right? All of the same elements. I'm just trying to keep this simple so people can understand. And um, I think most people do get this, but we're going to have two arms and two legs, or we're going to come from something similar to that. Like dolphins and whales came out of the sea and then they went back into the sea. So it's just going to be similar to that. I don't think we're going to be so alien to the point where there is no way that we recognize, like you said, Darlene, that they are sentient. We're going to be able to look at them and tell there's going to be some way that we will have a connection with that alien species. And no, that's just my, you know, my own. Well, and and the thing, I think the thing to remember is, is uh, DMT aside, a lot of people are, are, talking to other entities that aren't doing DMT. So right. something in them has well, already been opened. Shouldn't be. Yeah. Some, some people have already been opened up to that in whatever way. And, uh, you yeah, know, it's, it's one of those, if you pay attention to it, it pays attention to you things. Well, Darlene, so, did you know that you naturally emit it? Did you, did you know that your body emits DMT? Oh and yeah. That may be oh why yeah, you're, exactly. You're so open. I mean, you, you may and, have higher dumps of it. Well, and it may be because of, uh, you know, I don't know about the two of you, but my experience has been if people, other people I've talked to that have had experiences and things I've read is that a lot of people that have had experiences like mine had had have had things happen to them in childhood, like a, a, an illness or a trauma yeah, yeah. or something that cracked the egg open. And um yeah. <laughs> I would love to see a really big study made of that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like I, I went through a period when I was a kid when I was very ill and, uh, and, you know, very, very sick for several years. And I think that that it opened me up as a human being in a lot of ways. And, and it made me less shy, believe it or not. <laughs> but I think it also it also opened up that little space up there somewhere and, and gave me an opening for things to come in right. that maybe otherwise well, I've had seven or eight NDEs in my life. And, and beyond that, I've actually have died when I was very young. I was, I was a preemie and uh, my body doesn't uh, regulate adrenaline. It took them years and years to figure out what this is. And there still is not a, a, a specific name for it, but it just doesn't regulate it. So any type of pain or excitement or anything, but, um, my biological mother, um, I'm adopted. So another, another thing, but, um, was a drug user. At I the think time. Darlene's so having some problems. May have caused uh, 
uh, Sorry, this occur. Uh, but anyway, but I stopped breathing completely Drew, and died. They had to resuscitate me. me. So that Are was one. There? And then yeah, as I got older, I'd have those occurrences happen to me until I learned to control it through breathing. Breathing is key is to everything. Um, uh, but yeah. Yes, I can't. She can hear I can't me. hear she Drew. Just can't hear you. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Darlene. The entities. There? <laughs> I can't hear him at all right now. Darlene, I can hear you just fine. Jen, ask and, and see if she can hear you. You're talking to each other. Yeah. Um, all right. Hold on. A couple of minutes. <laughs> what yes. were you talking about when I lost I'm, you? <laughs> I'm still oh, connected to the internet, seconds. so I'm okay, but I am seeing her as... Oh, okay, great. Um, lightened. Uh, right now, the time that we've been on How is 48 minutes, 55 seconds. No. No, no. How long total have we been on? So... I can stop and okay. then we could splice it. Um, I, I'm sorry. How long did you say again? An hour and 40 minutes? Oh, only 40. I thought you said an hour and 48. Okay. I was going to say, I was like, holy cow. Um, in fact, we're using up time. Let me hit stop recording. All right. All right. All right so this occurrence... Darlene, that you're uh, mentioning right now, um, of it, you know, of a childhood ailment, and then my mentioning of the use of DMT and how people have this trope of seeing specific entities and beings that are providing them knowledge, these dumps of wisdom or knowledge. But it sounds like that you were possibly gaining the same experiences and maybe even meeting with these same physical beings, but without the aid of DMT or drug or that route. You want to espouse a little bit on, on that? Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, I've never, I've only seen like physical beings in the physical a couple of times, but when I was a kid, okay. I was always in tune to just, you know, nature and just listening to myself, actually. But what happened with me is is I, I went through a series of really severe childhood illnesses that in, included a couple of, you know, stints in the hospital. And uh, that made me realize that I had no control over a lot of things. And I was away from my parents when I was in the hospital. And I also had another incident when I was about six years old where I saw uh, three people die in a horrible automobile accident. Oh, wow. I think that, um, I mean, I saw it from beginning to end, and my, parent act, my parents were actually the people that got out of our car and went to help these people and take them out of their car. So that that was another thing. And then I also had uh, an incident when I was what about six years old where I was molested by a neighbor boy. And wow. these are things that I think kind of cracked me open. And I didn't yeah. carry around yeah. trauma like I didn't have PTSD or anything like that. I think like some people get, I think mm -hmm. I absorbed it in a different way. And the way I did it was I opened myself up and allowed things in. 
Because once you realize that you don't have a complete in, in, a, in, a, in a positive way or, or negative in a positive way. way, because I I mean, you realize at some point in your life that you can't control everything. Right. And I right. think for some people, that's probably some people don't feel that way until they're really an adult or something no. happens to them. But in it, my it case, it happened when while. I was pretty young. Yeah, I and I think because of first of all, I was a very curious, imaginative kid to begin with. Second of all, I had these traumatic events all within a period of, you know, from about age four. If you include the bunny from about age four until around age six or seven. And uh, I was I was willing to question everything that happened to me. Like, why did those three people die? Why did this happen? Why did I get sick? I mean, and, and realizing that I was still a whole person. I didn't carry trauma, I guess, like some people do, and like being fearful. I think it actually did the opposite with me. And because it did the opposite with me, I was willing to take in more more things and more experiences that were not happening that other people were aware of. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it absolutely makes tons of sense. So I would think for some people – uh, it may be a, a, a personal trauma of some kind that that opens that up, but maybe for other people that if they don't get the right kind of thing to crack them open, maybe that's maybe it's people like Jen who try the DMT or you that try the DMT and start to have those kind of experiences. Yeah, where I yeah. was already opened up due to life experience to those things. Mm-hmm. I was just so overwhelmed. There, there was just so many occurrences all happening around the same time. And then I mentioned being adopted and uh, I actually wasn't adopted until I was a year and a half years old. So you talk about the formative years. Oh yeah. Away from your biological mother or parents, regardless of what that situation was, that's a whole other discussion, but right. There's that time of that bonding uh, that I, that I didn't get. And then my adoptive parents, there was a big generation gap. They're in their late forties and I have some brothers and sisters and the closest one to me is 11 years. So it's, it's not quite like another parent, but, um, you know, but it was a, but the thing was, it was a situation you had no control over and you realized that pretty quick, even, even in your little infant mind. Mind. Right. Yeah. 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 I can part when they talk about compartmentalize and really, um, but I dealt with it well. I, I was always again, very popular. Um, you know, it, it's strange cause I am an, an, an introvert, but again, I was just naturally popular with people, but I think that's just because it was my ability to be a chameleon. I was always kind of moving around. My parents were sending me here or sending me there. So I'd have to learn how to communicate and to be able to, you know, to make friends easily and, and to get in with a specific crowd. You know, I was at one point, a. Um, a semi-professional surfer. And then at another point I was actually playing professional billiards. I was, <laughs> I, was <laughs> I was just always doing and picking up all of these different things in my, in my life. Um, and I guess just what I'm getting at, I'm sorry, cause I'm digressing, but the, the point is, is just, uh, it didn't affect me. And I'm also a short male. Um, I'm five foot four. So you talk about the trope being a short male and growing up that way. 
A lot of people think, man, you must have had a hard time growing up that way. But you know what? I didn't. I, it never even occurred to me, which was strange, until I, I think until it was my late high school years or maybe even in college. And then even then, it didn't have much of an effect on me. So I think a lot of that is really just the individual, right? Yeah, you know, of course it's the individual. And, and then I'm sorry, one last thing that's not hearing all of that crazy stuff that happened to me before then um, and, and piecing that all together and just having, I don't know if it's the genes that are were in me, but to handle the environmental um, issues that occurred to me. So there, there's got to be something in me genetically that, that made this easier for me to, to handle. Well, I think that's very possible because, I mean, you are coded. We're all right. coded. And, uh, you know, it, it, there's a lot of things like my family. One thing I will tell you is I watch TV every once in a while and I'll see a game show or some crazy TV show where all these people are hysterically happy or hysterically glad they won or whatever. I can tell you, I've never seen anybody in my family do that, including me. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't mean we don't feel and we don't <laughs> express it, but mm. we're not hysterical about it. Right. And. And um, part of that's nature, part of that's nurture. But and when I look at my family going back generations and the way the family has been on both sides of my family, there's not that many people in my family that I would call that that do the hysterical thing. Uh, They tend to be uh, I don't you you don't you did you not did you know your uh, birth family at all? Or they just tend to fall in like if they hear laughter. They don't know why they're doing it, but they immediately go into a laughter mode. Is, is that what you mean? Yeah. I mean, it's it's like I think people now is now it, it, this is a cultural thing right now. I think in our country is like, uh, you know, with reality shows and all that. It's like people expect to be entertained now. And one of the ways they expect to be entertained is with high drama. And as a result, I think a lot of people are starting to think that that's the way we're supposed to be is high drama. We're all so the time. desensitized. Yeah, desensitized. But but at the same time, um, uh, you know, you can be deliriously happy, but you don't have to be, you know, I mean, everybody expresses themselves in their own ways. But I, but it, it seems to me like our society has has gone kind of over into the uh extreme uh, behavior extremo. everything's extremo in words yeah like, i mean extreme that. is not a good word i don't know why people think it is yeah. they put it in the names of drinks and this started to occur about 15 years ago and i talk about that with my girlfriend i said have you noticed this does anybody else notice this it's extreme was being used in everything yes across the board because everything else had been used so you just had to keep going up another level you know, to be better, I guess, than your competitor. I don't, I don't know what it was, but yeah. Well, extreme. see, I'm not competitive at all. I mean, I did re- very well in work and uh, the the careers I had. I mean, I, I I I thought I was fairly successful, but I don't judge success I by you know how high up the ladder you go either. So yeah, I have I have issues. With that. I get very competitive. No, as a matter of fact, in the workplace, sometimes we we would we would have competitions, and uh, I know when I was at at the the local health department, we had a it it wasn't a you know like a huge competition. It was like we did a workshop, and you know we divided into teams and to see who could who could get these these this certain process done the quickest. 
And I told everybody up front, I said, I don't like competing with stuff like this. We're, you know, we're the health department and we should be working as a team, the whole department as a team. And as soon as you divide anybody into teams like that, I think you may be going down a path. And I know a lot of people disagree with me on that. No, that's interesting you put it that way. So let's unpack that because that that we are talking about two different things. So I do want to actually re-explain myself when I say that I'm being competitive. I'm, for me, it's more in, in sports, not in right. work. Absolutely correct. And that's what's made me successful in business and, and with people that I deal with is by making people work together. Right. <laughs> exactly. And leave things outside of the workplace. You've got to be able to leave whatever's happening at home, you know, outside and, and uh, like you said, to work together. Yeah, two, two different things just to make people clear. Yeah, no, and, and I know that, we, of course, we live, in a, we live in a society that's very um, much based on competition. While we right. say that we want to work together, uh, you don't often see that, not, not truly, usually in small groups, yeah. but not in our society as a whole. We, well, yeah. certainly right now it's not. But um, I never was competitive. I was, always, I was always very introverted as a kid. I'm still introverted. I mean, I can talk to people, but... Um, but don't you also see this new thing, though, with especially with the millennials, this road that we're going down with the per- participation trophies and, like, you know, not rewarding people for doing a good job. I just get such a laugh over that, which I shouldn't, because it's a very serious issue. It's, it's No, like, it is. Well, um, it, so that's a whole other side to it. Too. Well, I, I had, I raised two sons. And uh, one of them's uh, going to be 39 in March, and the other one's going to be 29 in June. So they're kind of in that category. But I did not raise them that way. <laughs> yeah. uh, the schools Ooh. did. The schools tried. Yeah. But yeah. I always, you know, I, you know, I would, uh, you know, I was happy, of course, whenever they did well in school or anything. But I always tried to make them make it clear to them that that's not what winning was. Yeah. That, you know, and winning is a very personal thing. And it's uh, and I, I always emphasize to them much better that, way of looking at it. That, that, that it was much more important that they become happy, well-adjusted individuals and and not not base it all on how much money they but made. It's or not anything. everything. Right. Yeah. Really and and like if you want to be a if, you know, the only caveat I had, I said, if you want to be a, a garbage collector, I'm fine with that. Just right. be the best garbage collector you can right. be and be happy. With you it. don't know how to win. You don't know how to lose. That's right. Would you agree, right? Because if if you cannot pick up those coping skills of losing, you're you're gonna have major problems <laughs> moving in, th- you know, through life. Right. Um, you know, especially with anybody that is an introvert, like myself or you or or, or anybody else, is you've got to be able to um, experience b- both of those things and be okay with it, but without going overboard, without be being. Uh, you know, a sociopath or a or psychopath. And, you know, I don't think people really understand how many people are uh, psychopaths. You know, that oh, I one know. I agree with you 100%. Politicians. I mean, and, and again, there's ways of controlling it. I think that's more of the sociopaths. If they don't let it get out of control, can be some of the greatest people on the planet. But if it gets out of control, 
then of course you get the Hitlers of the world and, you know, so on and so forth. So it's a, it's a very fine line as they say, right? No, it is a very fine line. I agree with you. And uh, like I said, I have experience with, with son and, you know, I raised two sons, you know, and I have grandchildren now and um, I, I'll, I still emphasize to them, you know, just be the best human being you can be and be kind no matter what. <laughs> and that doesn't mean getting walked on. But um, it's it's like you have to look through a lens of compassion to everybody. And that doesn't mean being nice all the time, which is a different thing. No, compassion. And no, you're right. Yeah, I like that. I like that. They are two different things. Yeah, they are. Uh, I know a lot of people that are in the metaphysical community and spiritual people, you know, really talk about being nice and being nice is very important. But um, it's it's more about being compassionate. Yeah, even with people you don't like. I mean, you can get along with people you don't like or make the attempt, but that doesn't mean you have to tear them down. Right, right. And, um, and, and, and as to compassion and what compassion is, it's not giving people things. It's giving them what yeah. they need. Yeah, you do that and then what they need. And as yes. the song goes, you know, the Rolling Stones. <laughs> yeah, it's not, yeah, exactly. Need, but, you know. but, you know, I think it's real easy to just throw money and, and objects and things and uh, at people. But sometimes what people need oh, is that yeah. lesson. And I'm not here to teach lesson. people lessons. That's the road we're going down. Yeah. And I hope that God, you know, that pray every day that that doesn't happen. But that's a whole other discussion. But well, yeah. you know what? We just have to take. You know, it's 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 at its core. It's got to. We, we've got to take each moment and each day as it comes. And I think the only reason I don't, and I've never suffered from depression. I've had the blues every now and then, but I've never suffered de- from depression. And I think that's one of the reasons is because I, I know about all the bad things out there. It's not that I don't know about them and am not aware of them, but I've got to look at it day by day because each moment you can change something. Each moment you can change something for the better. Absolutely. And, I, and always knowing, we talked about this the other day, but how I kind of got through a lot of the ex, just extreme, horrible things that I've, I've been through is knowing that there's somebody out there that has it worse right then. There's yes. just something going on that is so horrific that I need to thank God that that's not occurring to me right now. There's always something going on that's that's worse. And that's that what helped me get through a lot of, a lot of things. And, and also just knowing that you got to live in the now, you know, which I have a hard time doing. Well, we all, just, it, it takes uh, work. It takes it does, work to do that. It does work. But I hate, you know, um, we discussed this a little bit the other day, just how, you know, how I grew up and, and, you know, name dropping and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I can't, I, I hate conversations like that. And, um, especially when I hear people doing it or, you know, talking about something that I, I, I know they're lying, <laughs> you know, but I don't <laughs> want to call them out because I don't want to be cruel. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't. And that's I, so I just shy away from that. And I only deal with what am I doing today? Not what were things like 20 or 30 or 40 years ago or whatever. That was a whole other world that I don't even know if it even occurred, right? (laughs) Right. Exactly right. We can't, you know, you've got to be aware of the past, but you should not be living there anymore. (laughs) Yeah. And I did for a a, a long time. It took me, it took me a lot to, to get through that, you know, but I did. 
And, uh, and I guess when it comes to name dropping, uh, you also need to look in the context of how does the, how do those people affect you? Is it just right. because they're famous or uh, because you got something from them and learned something from them? And yeah, I've only had, me, you know, I, I lived in that way. And well, I lived in, in life. I didn't even know. You know, I well, I lived in, in L.A. for for about 10 years of my life. And you do actually run into celebrities out there. I mean, it, yeah, there you you do. Know. <laughs> yeah, they're everywhere. I mean, you go to the airport, you're going to see somebody. But, you know, and I, I saw quite a few people like that. And it never made an impression on me. I was just like, oh, that's a famous person. But I did have encounters with two people that that made a difference in my thinking uh, and made, and I know they had an impression on me in ways that I didn't even realize at the time. And uh, you can see this on my website. I briefly mention it, but um, I, when I was in high school, <clears throat> I, I was pretty smart. <laughs> but um, I was very lucky too, and I got chosen to go to some some special events when I was in high school that had to do with science. And uh, one of them was I got to uh, to go to uh, an event where I actually got to hear Richard Feynman speak. And I, at the time, I was kind of blown away. You broke up, but I think you said Richard Feynman, didn't That's you? Right. Yeah, That's right. That's right. You said that the other day. That's so cool. Yeah, was- I mean, I actually got to hear him speak. And, um, you know, I don't, don't ask me what exactly he said because I was sitting in the back of the room and I just knew that that guy had a twinkle in his eyes and I was 16 years old and I think I had a crush on him in that moment. But he was very important and he won a Nobel Prize. And, uh, you know, so over... Oh, it yeah, took, he's on my list. Yeah, he's he's right up there. But it, it took me uh, quite a few years to really realize how important he was. And it took me, when I really started studying quantum physics and all that, to realize how lucky I was to hear him speak. And, um, and the other one that I also got to meet was Jacques Cousteau, of all people, that same year. And I was also chosen to go to a special event on Catalina Island. And he wasn't even supposed to be at this event, which was about marine biology. Um, but the Calypso was there. Do you remember the Calypso? Are you old enough to remember that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, they showed they showed us the Calypso. They took, a, they took us on a boat ride around to the other side of the island to this research station, a marine research station. And we saw his boat and we go, oh, cool, you know. Well, we got in there and they were giving us a little lecture. And it was a little tiny room. And I was sitting in the front row. And uh, I remember Jacques Cousteau walked in the door and surprised everyone. And he, uh, he, a little, little tiny uh, man. That's a definite impression. Very, very tiny little man. I was just blown away. I, I never realized how small he was, you know, in stature. And, 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 but when he walked in that room, you could have heard a pin drop. And he talked to us for maybe five or 10 minutes. I mean, I was less than three feet away from him. And he gave, a, he gave us a talk about how important it was for us to be engaged with the environment and with um, protecting the earth and all that. And, you know, all these years later, I just feel that was a blessing because I was going to go into biology and I didn't. Um, I ended up being a speech and theater major of all things. And so I did some theater, too. But those two people have carried me through all these years and I can't even be, I mean, I just going to sound freaky, but every once in a while I talk to Mr. Feynman. (laughs) Really? 
And well, we um, got to get him on the show. So we're. <laughs> oh, and I tell you what, he was, uh, he wasn't perfect. I mean, he's like everybody else. He had his flaws and he said and did things he shouldn't have, but um, just a brilliant man. And Jacques Cousteau was very brilliant. I mean, one of them was in the abstract, really. Feynman talked about quantum physics, which is very right, abstract right. to most people. And then there was uh, Jacques Cousteau, was, who was all about Cousteau the earth. Is, is all about the earth. And so I had these two people that were the from these two different realms, but part mm-hmm. of the same realm. And uh, I've, I've always been very grateful that that uh, I, so I had that opportunity. Yeah. world. Um, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, they were both about other worlds, actually. Even though Jacques Cousteau was about this world, he was very much about the ocean, which was like a new world in many ways for for most of us. But it was just... More about the the oceans. Oh, yeah. I mean, if if you heard that sweet, gentle voice of his on TV when he had his specials, you knew that that was the way we, that he was the example of how we should be about our planet. Our planet. And I never, yeah. ever yeah. forgot well, that. It's like a silent spring. And... Yes. Yeah. Well, I was going to say is what was interesting when you brought up about marine biology is that was another one of my loves. Um, and FAU down here has a phenomenal school for that. So it was, it was another area of study for me. But what I ended up doing is getting heavily involved in um, live uh, reef uh, replication and um, helping people to put together very, very complicated, not just like a normal saltwater tank, but a very heavily scientific oriented live coral tank, especially with hard corals. Which oh, are really? That's, oh, that's, that's interesting. Grow. Yeah, so I worked on grafting. I worked with reef relief down here um, on helping them to bring back staghorn corals. Um, And in fact, I have a little claim to fame, but during Hurricane Andrew, um, of course, all the power went out. And I uh, was subscribing to, it's defunct now, but a magazine called Marine Fish Monthly at the time. And I was talking with the... uh, uh, his name escapes me, but I'll remember it later another time. But anyways, but the, the head of John Pennycamp and all of the uh, tanks that they have down there, right, for the tourists. And so we started discussing like, wow, you know, what, what are we going to do? The power's out. We're going to lose everything. But what's interesting is we found that the tanks actually thrived due to this because what was happening is what was what was happening was everything was settling um because you know it's the opposite cycle from what you have when you're growing plants you know to the ocean is the exact opposite when you're going from nitrate to nitrite um and and then get you know gassing out but anyways what was happening was at the very bottom layer of muck and mud all of the anaerobic bacteria down there that did not need oxygen and the flow, the constant flow and water movement that you get, let's say with a filter on a tank. Mm-hmm. So if you're familiar with seeing that, um, that bacteria was breaking oh, wow. everything down and um, cutting through uh, past uh, nitrite and nitrate and then just gassing out. So, you didn't even have to do a water change for an entire 
year. And people would normally have to continually do water changes like a couple a month. And then you'd have so many different apparatuses uh, to keep things alive and things called protein skimmers and spending thousands and thousands of dollars. And um, the pet trade ended up getting really pissed off at us. So they went back. We so what happened is those tanks went back to their natural state. Yes, because we were replicating exactly what was occurring on a reef at the time. And what it's, it's called natural nitrate reduction. But so I got a little claim to fame that uh, me and this gentleman went back and forth and, and through our communication and studies and just testing the waters and everything else that, yeah, we found we didn't even have to do any water changes or do any work. We didn't even have to. Well, um, we, we did have to add, actually add some supplements, mm-hmm. calcium supplements yeah, and things for the want to, keep to grow. From but you. Um, But we cut out so much of the money that, you know, a a normal hobbyist, let's say, would have to have. Oh, that is wonderful. That that is wonderful. That's that's great. But it's not used. You know, they don't tell anybody about it. You know, it's like anything else. It's like the medical industry. Let's look at it that way. It's like if there's some cure, you know, for prevention. Yeah. And and that's your area right there is, is health. So it's very similar. Well, the, the the good thing is you could probably use that, apply that to the to other things too. Um, I don't know how much you are involved with um, with ocean research or anything right now, but it's that kind of that kind of that little bit of information is really important to know. Yeah, no, it absolutely um, is. You know, I and and our Earth, you know, that one of the things I always try to keep in perspective is no matter what we do. We may disappear, but this this planet will somehow come back. It may not oh, come yeah. back in the way we know it, but it will life <laughs> life really will. will I mean, look at the things us. that our you planet like has been Carlin? through. Yeah, over millions of years, we've been just you know many species have been wiped cycles out. Upon cycles upon cycles. Yeah, you like I mean, Carlin, it, the comedian. That's true. George Carlin. Oh yeah. Remember his oh, yes, uh, I do. thing about us and the earth and could care less about us. And that, and I just always love that monologue. It and is, that's, and that's exactly perfect. true, which is why we should embrace all life on this planet and realize that we're not the be all and end all. We should do our best to protect our, our fellow beings and critters sure. and all that. Absolutely. But but that ultimately it's, um, you know, the, the, this planet will 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 come back. Uh, it, I would I rather see it with us here rather than not here. Yeah. It was funny when he said, you know, even plastics and things of that nature, which we should not be dumping, but let's just say they're already there. It's no coming back from that. No, there You've isn't. Got that massive, you know, out in the Pacific ocean, the great, you know, mass of plastics that are just floating in, in that big spiral circle. But you know, he had said that the earth is, would find a way to incorporate it. <laughs> it would. And I believe that it would take a very long time, but it would find a way. It finds a way. Um, life finds a way. You know, the famous words from uh, what's the movie <laughs> with the dinosaurs? Oh, yeah. The, like Jurassic Park. Bloom, you know? Yeah, yeah. With, and it has to do with chaos theory, of course, and all that, you know, life. Well, yeah, I think personally, from my point of view, I know that there's a lot of extinctions going on and that they, they do say we are in the middle of a major extinction event. But extinctions are followed up by something else. 
and I, you know, and, and I don't, I'm going to miss polar bears American. as much as the next person, but um, I would hope that um, that that enough species survive where we can all be kicked up a notch. Uh, yeah, human humans as well as any other animals that are out there. And if you look at pre, you know, if you look at at the epochs that this Earth has gone through, where a whole species have disappeared, dis- but what, dis- but when they start over, they don't start from scratch, or it doesn't appear that way. Yeah. I mean, I they didn't go back to trilobites the last time there was a big extinction event on this planet. Uh, it kind of started, it, it, when it started over, it started up a few steps well, I'm up. I'm a big proponent of punctuated, I'm a big proponent of punctuated um, evolution, uh, yeah. which is kind of what you're talking about, right? Yeah, Just no, the- I definitely believe that, and I think that could happen with us. We may, you know, a, a thousand years from now, we may may not be the humans we are now. And we will either adapt or we won't. And part well, of that adaptation is taking care of this planet. It really is. Well, they call back- now the great the great filter. And I'm sorry, Darlene, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, that's but right okay. now, uh, and there's a really cool podcast called um, uh, what is the name of it? It's a ten part series. You would love. We would all love. Um, I've listened to it obviously already, but I I listened to it again the other day. But it takes each existential crisis that we're dealing. So let's say whether it's an asteroid or it's, uh, you know, global uh, warming and change, which I have my own concepts, you know, we go through these cycles. That's just me, I think, but we add to it. Yes. Add to it. But, you know, you got volcanoes, you've got, you know, cart, 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 uh, cow fluctuation. (laughs) (laughs) Methane factors here yeah methane so but anyways the, the point was he did a really good job of that and that was my last episode was with dr pry and then talking about emp and that right now is the biggest existential threat that we face but getting back that we're at the point right now in our history that if we don't make it through uh, this quote kind of filter or bottleneck that this may be why we don't see aliens. It, it may be because they don't make it through this point in, in their history or in their evolution because they do get hit by an asteroid or they do kill themselves off with, uh, you know, nuclear annihilation or name it, right? Just, just throw a name in there, whatever it is, or CERN. We do experiments with CERN. So I thought it would, it would be interesting that instead of actually doing the experiments with CERN that we think are going to help us, okay? Because this may be the exact thing that all these other species, all the other alien species throughout the galaxy, let's just imagine that, right? Hypothetically, that they're there. But they did these same experiments and something went wrong. Even though we thought 99%, nothing's going to go wrong. It's all going to be fine, but it didn't. And that's why we don't see them. So what I would do is do the the most highly, um, what would be the right word for it? But um, maybe the, the, the worst experiment or the one that we feel might cause the uh, worst amount of um, existential risk and we make it through because it's never been done before throughout the history of the universe. I just thought that, I don't know, I just had that thought the other day. It was just a really weird way of thinking about it. Well, but it's a weird way of thinking about things, it. But right? It's, over but, and over. 
It's about consciousness. And at some point you get it. (laughs) I mean, if you believe that we're conscious beings and that we're tuning into a greater consciousness, uh, hopefully some of us are listening to that consciousness and listening. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's, uh, you know, I don't know what kind of beings are out there. I don't know if they're like us or if they are us, which I've actually suspected that a few times, Uh, you know, us in in another incarnation, and we can also travel through time. I mean, there's all kinds of weird things that you can think of to explain these things. Just on, on, on that. I could, we could go crazy on that. And I yeah, know you, you can. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can speculate till the cows come home, but all that really matters Everyone is what do we do now? What can we do now that makes a difference? What, and, and it may just be as something as simple as being kind to your neighbor and not using bug spray in your backyard. And if that's, if that's what you can do, yeah. you do it. I mean, we'd all like to be that person that saves the world that comes up with this next big thing. But in the meantime, everyone can do some little thing every day that makes a difference in the lives. Yes, exactly. I ran a big 501c3. Jen, I think you know this story, but back when I was a kid, I was a little bit more, more liberal than I am today. And I, again, I don't have any political affiliation and I'm not even saying that just as a disclaimer. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. Not that there's all, anything wrong with that. <laughs> I do have different leanings of different ideas. But the whole point is this, is that at the time, um, I just noticed how militant this group was. And they were working on um, single-payer uh, health care uh, at the time. And I was living up in Atlanta, and we lied. We literally... And it's still there. I have a picture of the cover of the Atlanta Constitution. You can see me with my long hair and I had my my uh, hair wraps with my bells in it. That was my Grateful Dead days. <laughs> <laughs> so I go through all these phases, I'm telling you. But um, anyways, but uh, but they were just very, very militant about this. And it, it disturbed me. So I got out of that group, started my own 501c3. Because the one thing that I found they were working on, which was true, was pesticides and chemicals being used on our foods and how the way that we look at it from the government and the EPA is you only look at one piece of food at a time. That's our local, now, of course, uh, for an adult, store. that still wrong, but it might be okay. But for a child, see, they don't, they don't take children into effect at no, all. No, they don't. Wow. They so, don't. Why, so wonder why all the kids have ADHD and are running around crazy so what I did is I just simply, just one little thing, I just, I contacted uh, Publix and, you know, because this was when, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. So like uh, your local grocery store, or I don't know what they have in Piggly Wiggly in Texas or whatever. H-E-B. H-E-B, <laughs> all right. But so Publix up in Atlanta at the time, and I approached them um, about organics and about what they could do. Long story short is this, is that I got another couple of other groups, some small ones like myself, uh, of 501c3s, and we just hounded and hounded, helped to write the legislation, because that's what I was doing for this other 
group, even as a very young, uh, early 20-somethings, I was going to Washington. I was dealing and talking with Newt Gingrich at the time about different stuff. So I kind of knew how to do it and got them to create what's called GreenWise, which is now in every Publix across the nation. So it, it's, and I'm not trying to say that it's like, hey, look at me, look at what I did. That's not it at all. That's not how I am. It was just that it takes one small effort is the point that just one person and doing one small thing that has a domino effect and you don't know where it's going to lead. Oh, it certainly does. And it's not just things like that. It's just like a simple act of kindness to a person at the right moment. It can totally turn their life around and you may not even be aware of it. Uh, you may never find out about how that moment you spent with them changed them. Changed them. But you know, it, it's... Happened on my end by somebody doing that to me, so... Yeah, so it, it's... Yeah. I mean, there's so much... I know that we really emphasize so many of the bad things that are going on in the world right now, but there's so many wonderful things going on, too. And there's so many wonderful people. Uh, and, and they're not the people that are famous. They're just the no, people that are not. living their lives <laughs> every day. They're waking up. And uh, just making it a, a little bit better for themselves and for somebody that happens to be fortunate enough to come into their sphere of influence, uh, even if it's just a kind word, because, uh, you know, words, words they kill have people. That power. They have that power. Mm. And uh, I don't know, I, I, I get, you know, I get a little upset about things like anybody else does, but I, I really hold, hold out hope that we can change things. Yeah. And uh, whether it's about UFOs right or anything. And we don't want a savior. We must do it ourselves. Yeah. We must do it ourselves. We can't depend on our president or uh, Congress or even uh, aliens, whoever, to save us. We must each do it on our own and in our own best way using, you know, for our highest and best good of everyone. And I know that's a big order. That's a tall order for anyone. But I think we can do it. It's that hundredth monkey. It takes that one. It's going to be that tipping point of that one person of doing what you just said, Darlene. That's my belief, at least. Yes, I, I do believe that. I, and I believe we each have the ability to do that. That's right. Imagine all the right. people. <laughs> well, that's funny. I know that sounds kind of funny, but that's my way. Of, you know, everybody thinks I am. I'm, I'm, I have conservative leanings, but I knew what John Lennon meant um you know by those very very powerful words that people would say are very very socialistic in nature but it's not necessarily true it just means look we got to all live together on this very tiny rock floating in the middle of nowhere (laughs) you know for sure got very few chances of of making it right so i really enjoyed this I, i really did um, oh, Jeff. I did too. I really enjoyed I enjoyed the the talk, and uh, I'm like you. I don't. Um, I just hope people. Right. I, what I would like to hear is people open dialogues with one another, where they, even though they disagree, they just talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Are come up with solutions from time to time. Sure. Great, great. We'll we'll definitely plan on that. Then I'd be happy yeah, we'll to. We'll do a few uh, different subjects and get some some of these other things out and. Um, cause I do want to hit on that, on that DMT subject, um, but then come back around to some other things again, get it, get a little bit more into the, into the high strangeness and. Oh yeah. We didn't even scratch the surface. No, with that for me. 
even come close, right? Not even close. Um, who am I talking with? I'm talking with um, where did the road go? Um, coming up soon and he does a, a late night radio show um <laughs> darlene you'd actually know him um, i think i'm saying the name of it wrong but um, yeah I, and i'm horrible with names that i always forget but uh you'd know him but anyways but yeah does a late night radio show on high strangeness but also uh music which we're yes, huge fans of because i'm, I'm, I'm the guy that i, I... love glenn miller <laughs> all the way to ozzy you know, oh, I mean, I'm the just same way. Everything and I love, between, I love classical music, country western good. music, rock music, all of it. <laughs> Other than rap, <laughs> but I do like some rap too, some old stuff. Like if it's only if it's old rap, like my first here. Let me just tell it, say this real quick, and then we'll we'll go. I let you guys go, but talking your ears off. But I bought Sugar Hill Gang's "Rappers Delight." Oh my! <laughs> and. And Pink Floyd, The Wall, though, is what I was getting at. Listen to, like, the weird duality of that. It doesn't get any stranger of two, right, of things, so. Unless it's Blondie doing that one song about uh, the alien. So, that was a rap song. It was a rap song. Yeah, it was. Actually, that's the first one I actually remember hearing (laughs) was the one that Blondie did. That's really cool. I mean, and that's and that's a whole other really cool just discussion alone on music and how uh, you know the senses and, and talking about when we were talking about the senses earlier and what it does and bringing back memories and and thoughts and feelings and there's just there's a really cool show just in that alone. Oh yes, I agree with you. All right, I agree with you. All right, ladies, I really, really enjoyed it. And let's pick this up again. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, click on our outro. And let's stick uh, uh, stay you. in touch uh, through Twitter. And, uh, oh, and I do want to make a, a quick note that um, on the outro for Twitter, it's actually pull up a pew pod, P-O-D, and we just left off the pod, the P-O-D. So it's P-U-L-L-U-P-A-P-O-D. At, of course, at Pull Up APU Pod. And that's where you'll find us on Twitter. All right. Well, thank Thanks. you. And I enjoyed it. You're welcome. Here we go for the outro. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, and hopefully you've added something to your knowledge base. Subscribe now, and please give us a five-star rating. Spread the love, and feel free to leave a kind written review for us. Your humble hosts gain knowledge after every episode. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Pull Up A Pew Podcast. That's P-U-L-L-U-P-A-P-E-W Podcast. Again, Facebook and Instagram at Pull Up a Pew Podcast. P U L L U P A P E W Podcast. And Twitter at Pull Up a Pew. Again, P U L L U P A P E W. Twitter at Pull Up a Pew. Please also consider supporting us through Patreon with anything you feel you can afford at patreon.com slash pull up a pew.
Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash pull up a pew. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash P-U-L-L-U-P-A-P-E-W. We will also be doing shows and supporting The Innocence Project. There can be no greater crime or misery than having your liberty and freedom taken away knowing you're innocent. So thanks for listening. And if you're a new podcaster and want to have advantages we can offer you through our partnership with Asander Production and Worldwide Motion Pictures, then email us at info at pullupapewpodcast.com. That's pullupapewpullupapewpodcast.com. Podcast. Dot com. <laughs>